0: Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's show, overassigning work, part one. Here we go. I was thinking the other day about Louise Charles. Now, I, I used to work for Louise Charles. I've, I've told a yep, few stories remember, yeah. about Louise at conferences. And, and she, and I, I suppose, I, I imagine she's probably not listening to this podcast. But if she were, she'd probably be a little bit surprised because I haven't talked to her about it. But Louise is one of those those bosses that when I was working for her, I respected her quite a bit. But I, I can't tell you, I really enjoyed it because... She gave me so much to do. It was amazing. I was, yeah. And I had no time to think. And yet, I look back and she is one of the most influential managers I have ever had. Yeah.
1: You know, it's funny you mentioned that when I was writing this cast, I wasn't thinking about my experiences at all. You know, you mentioned Louise, and then I immediately think about Colonel Texera 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's exactly what happened, right? We were all immediately double stressed. Boom. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, great bosses assign more work, delegate more work, create more work than their directs can
0: actually do. Okay, so but I, I want to make sure I understand you. They give more work, assign more work, delegate more work than the direct can actually do. Meaning, yeah, some of that work's not going to get done. Yeah, absolutely. And you're okay with that. Okay. Yeah, think about this. We'll talk about this Dean of the Cast in terms
1: of the rationales, but but now is a good time att- since you asked that that way. Look, let let's ask everybody who's listening. Don't you go home every night with work undone? I mean, by definition, you have more work than you can do. Everybody I know has projects, has folders, you know, dog-eared folders on the back of their desk. Or if not in the back of the desk, if they're a high C, then in a, in a drawer somewhere that's they're going to get to next month, next quarter. That's a great idea. I really think that could be good. We need to do that. And then three months later, it's still there. There's work to be done and it's not getting done. Nobody I know delivers every deliverable on time and goes home at 530 or six o'clock with all their work done and never has homework.
0: So I guess I'm not the only one that uh, reviews my task list and uh, matter of fact, I was doing it this morning, and I looked at it and I found a task, and oh, look at that. I committed to do that to Mark uh, three years ago. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I made a note of that. Uh, I made a note. We'll talk about that later in our yes. partner one-on-one. It's there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, but look, then the question is, right, as we'll say later, we'll repeat it because it's so important. If everyone is going to have work left undone, then the question question becomes, what work is being left undone? And conversely, by definition, what work is getting done? right? Great bosses do not try to figure out what each of their directs' comfort level is. They don't negotiate a balance with their directs about their work. They don't start small with an amount that anybody could do, and they develop a gradual plan of improvement, right? They don't. They intentionally give everyone more work to do than that directs thinks or knows or believes or hopes they can do. They overassign, they overdelegate. this is what great bosses do folks. They don't try to get an exact right balance because there is no such thing. You know, it's what is true of communications is true of work responsibility assignments. You're either going to do too much or too little, but the chance you're going to do exactly the right amount is marginally zero. So the only question is whether you're going to be above or below in terms of assigning work, you above or below what your team is capable of. What most managers do, is try to balance two largely unrelated factors. How much work the organization seems to be demanding of everyone and how busy one's directs say they are. And those that's virtually impossible to do. And for people who are at our conferences, everybody's saying, I'm really struggling with work-family balance. And I take them aside and said, there is no balance. It is becoming emotionally secure enough to recognize that what's important is dynamic tension. But smart bosses don't try to find a dynamic balance. They always know. They're always going to give their folks more work to do. And that very stress creates better work, better outcomes,
0: the right work getting done, and the right work getting done faster as well. I think that's a good point. I want to push on you a little bit because the right work getting done. And I I think one of the dangers, I don't know if we're going to talk about it later on, um, but one of the dangers of not doing this is – that the right work doesn't get done. The fact of the matter is, if you had a hundred things to do, you'd know that 20 of them are the most important. If you only have 20, your chances of getting the right stuff done is less.
1: Yeah, what's more, think of it this way. If you have a hundred things to do, you're gonna, and let's say you could only do 50, you better make sure you pick the right 20 that are the top ones, which if you only have 20, you don't develop the skill of choosing which ones are the right ones. And in fact, more directly, if you only have 20, you could, in fact, do 50. We'll talk about Parkinson's Law later, which is a bad thing. But you're going to say that the top three are the most important, and you're going to start making the bottom seven or ten unimportant, when in fact, they're a lot more important than some other things, but you won't really know how to make those kind of subtle distinctions until you're stressed about it. Believe it or not, this is what great bosses do. Everybody I know who's worked for a great boss, they never say he was the easiest guy to work with. I mean, pretty much we were protected. We went home. It was good, you know, really easy kind of work. I mean, he said no to everybody. He had all this political power. We only did the two or three things we really wanted to do. We had long meetings. They were relaxed. You know, we took off sites for days and really contemplated strategy. No one says that. The best bosses get the most done, and in part, because they're asking everyone else to get the most done, they draw
0: people to them who deliver a great deal of value. I'm jumping around here. I apologize, but I know you're. we're both big fans of Peter Drucker. I think there's some things he said that absolutely apply here. But I, I wonder if delegating more and pushing more work down violates the principle of a focus, right? Cuz you know Mr. Drucker said something like, you know, trying to do more than 3 things is uh like a three-ring circus, right? Yeah, okay. Okay, that's fair, but Drucker said that about CEOs and he said it about
1: the incredible value of a CEO's time relative because time is a is an expiring asset. You only get everybody only gets a certain amount, and if you have 50 things to do, you better know what the top one, two, or three are the Drucker's comment about three ring circus and trying not to do two, but maybe only doing one. In part, it's a function of the fact that the CEO tries to do 10. Everybody who's working for her is trying to do 50 and down a couple of levels. It's just a disaster. It's a menagerie of, of misery, basically. I'll tell you what though. This cast is unofficially titled the Peter Drucker productivity guidance. Drucker once said the productivity of work of the worker is not the responsibility of the worker, but of the manager. And the fact is, if, if managers everywhere are allowing directs to say, I'm busy, then the direct is choosing what they're productive on or not. Actually, they're choosing what they're working on. They may not have a real sense of what's productive or not. The manager's strategic a higher level maybe not maybe maybe it's not strategic but it's not truly corporately or organizationally strategic but it is generally more strategic than the direct the manager's higher level of strategic insight the larger sense of the relative value of things makes them a better chooser of the activities of the direct relative to its value and therefore their productivity, then the direct is all by themselves. This is not to say the direct doesn't have a voice and we're going to talk about collaborating with the direct on what they're working on. Okay, The direct should have a voice. Everybody's a knowledge worker, it seems like today. That's a good thing. And, and we want to respect that people may think, hey, I've got a good idea here. Great. But um, if every single one of the directs comes and says, this is what I want to do, and the manager allows them to do that, the detriment of what the organization asks of the manager, the manager's not doing her job. I mean, think of it this way. Isn't some of what an organization asks of us as managers unnecessary? And the answer is, of course it is because we're not doing it and we're not getting in any trouble, right? We, we delegate stuff to our own floor all the time. That's stuff that's, you know, back burner stuff that we'll get to next quarter. And by the same token, isn't it likely that our directs are overstating how busy they are? And the fact is, of course, they are. For those of you who are listening right now, I bet no one who works for you has ever said, "Hey, I'm not that busy. Give me some more work to do." Okay, if that's true, that no one a has good ever sign said, if they do, but yeah, well, but look, if no one's ever said, "I'm not that busy. Give me more work to do," then that means. Everybody in the world is either that's listening, that works for, has ever worked for somebody who's listening to this cast has either been at the exact right amount of workload, which I can't imagine, or they've had more than enough. Or on the other hand, they literally don't know how much they're capable of doing. I can certainly attest to that when, you know, when you and I were young lieutenants, I didn't know how much I was capable of doing, but I'll never forget that lesson when I was 22 years old. Effective managers realize the way to address This dichotomy between organizational needs and individual time management skills and so on is to have the right best work efforts of any individual force out the work that is least likely to be valuable. Okay. And, and so you, you try to stuff 25 balls into a box that only hold 20 to make sure that some of those balls fall out the least valuable ones. That means over assigning. And that means means teaching triage of the kind of work someone's doing and prioritization of the kinds of work your directs are doing in order to be cognizant of what's the best stuff to be doing rather than simply saying, let's make sure the box is always completely full. No, let's make sure the box is overfull, so we have thirty things to pick from, and we can only do twenty of them, and so ten of them might not get them done, or maybe what we say is there are thirty things to do. Let's organize them and let's see if we can't get the thirty done. Maybe in fact, that twenty that you're doing in fifty hours, you could do them in forty, and we can give you some more to do in that extra ten hours. Nothing wrong with that so how how do we do that? That's the question, yeah, yeah we don't want to we don't want to disappoint Mr. Drucker and be ineffective. That would not be good so. We have three major points here. The first one is don't be afraid to sign more work, even to people who say they're busy. We're going to give you a little bit of background on that. The biggest part of the cast is point two, which is what to do and how to do it. We're going to talk about delegating more assertively, about assigning work, even though people say they they can't do it. You know, it's okay to expect it to get done. In addition to the work that's already being done, uh, we're going to ask you to collaborate on prioritizing with your with your directs, which is basically... Choosing which work to get done is a professional skill. We ought to be teaching our directs how to do that. And this is one of those casts that is overarching. We're going to have a lot more casts come out of this one talking about individual details. Otherwise, it'll be 50 pages long. And another thing a manager's got to do is you've got to be willing to provide air cover when work that doesn't get done creates risk for your directs. It happens when, in fact, they're, they stop doing something that somebody else might want them to do. And then our third point, which I would have loved to have covered up front, just to make make the case here, I decided to delegate or you know or, or demote. I'm sorry to the third place in this cast. Is we're going to cover some reasons why overassigning and overdelegating are so important. We've got Horstman's corollary to Parkinson's law, which Parkinson's law has always frustrated me, and I always thought it was the wrong thing to be talking about, but that's just me. And then we're going to talk again about work always being left undone. We're also going to talk about quality, which a lot of managers struggle. Managers say, Mark, quality will suffer. And we say, yes, it will. It absolutely will. And for those few of you who are listening to us that build chips that build chipsets that that work with silicon wafers and clean rooms and billion dollar chip fabs and when your work your actual work not your team's work but your work is producing those chips i'll agree quality can't suffer other than that in the vast majority of jobs that i know like 99.9 percent of them quality can in fact dip for a short period of time until we discover that the person who was working for us can in fact do the thing we used to be doing and within three months, they're doing it every bit as good as us, and thanks to Manager Economics one oh one, that's a good thing. But if your defense to delegating more or assigning more work is quality will suffer, you have too high a standard on quality unless you're building chips. And there are probably a few other things. I use chips as an example, and you need to be you need to learn that there's a real danger in saying quality can't suffer. Because if quality can't suffer, you can't innovate. We'll come back to that.
0: Good. Okay. So now let's get something out of the way, though, because I know folks may misunderstand what you're saying. Because certainly, no, no, that can't be true. What? Well, uh, yeah. Uh, this is probably me? the first time ever, ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> but
1: how many, how many emails have we gotten in the course of the last six years that have said, "I don't understand." at a thousand.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, it's usually not that they don't understand. They don't understand because they don't believe what you say. Okay. Yeah. That's a different Why is he saying that? It's a different thing. Crazy. Mark's talking crazy talking. Here's the thing I want to make sure people understand because you're not, you're not saying to give more work to everybody because certainly in every team there's, there's at least one or two people that are, are busy. Right. And we don't, we don't want to overassign <laughs> to busy folks. Right. You know, now in my explode. new office,
1: not that it's any better. It's actually much smaller than my old office. But when I laugh, I, it echoes and I can hear myself laugh. Right. This this is the Ozan corollary to the Parkinson's <laughs> law, which is only give more work to people who say they're not busy, which, by the way, would make for a very short cast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Quickly, managers, run out to your people and say, anybody not busy? I have some more work. <laughs> Well, they're going to like you what if is you it? do that. Which That's is like crazy. Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, right? <laughs> Measuring something actually changes it. Um, if you ask people, hey, if anybody's not busy, I have more work. Suddenly it changes everybody to busy.
0: <laughs> okay. When, when I throw you softballs, you're not supposed to yeah. scare me. Okay? <laughs> you're just supposed to simply answer the question. You, let me tell you, for one time in my life,
1: when you throw me softballs, I feel like Bryce Harper. Yeah, no, look, it, it, one of the rules is, the really great managers, the effective managers, and well, let me let me finish my thought. I want to come back. I want to talk of great managers for a second because I had a great conversation recently at one of our conferences about greatness as a manager. Yet yeah, the great managers are not afraid to assign more work to people, to delegate more work to people, to create more work for people, even to people who are busy. Now, let me just talk about greatness for a second, folks. We're not suggesting that you're not great and you must do this now. We recommend you think about your set of skills that make you a manager. Obviously, a lot of them devolve from your responsibilities, okay? And if you hear us say great managers do X and you're not doing it, we're not trying to make you feel bad that you're not doing it at all. We don't want you to feel bad, okay? Separate from the umbrella story, we, we know that feeling bad is not a motivator. Rather, we're going to say this. If I discover that a great manager does something I'm not doing, I have to learn how to do it if I want to be great. The way to learn how to do it is to start doing it now. And in a year or two, you'll actually be pretty good at it. We're suggesting you add that skill that great managers take for granted or or maybe not even be able to talk about. Some of them are clear about it. Some of them say, yes, this is in fact one of my core skills. But all great managers do this. They all overassign work, even to people who are busy on their team. And if you're not doing that, then you're missing one of the skills that makes for a great manager. It doesn't mean that tomorrow when you start assigning more work, you'll be great, but you'll be on the path to greatness as opposed to definitely not being on the path. So don't feel bad about it. Trust me, Mike and I are still on our own paths to greatness when it comes to management, but we've seen a lot of great managers and all great managers do this. But look, frankly, to your point, Mike, if you're listening to this show, we know your directs are busy. I suppose it's possible that You're busy in your directs or not, but there are some managers who do that, but they're pretty rare. You know, when that happens, bosses have incorrectly sheltered their directs out of a mistaken sense that protecting their team is an important job of a manager, right? And they take it in the wrong direction. They take it to an extreme and it's, it's very debilitating. Even though the manager feels good about it, bad things are happening behind the scenes and productivity drops. And frankly, we also know that many, many directs of ours are adept. For some good reasons and for some bad ones, they're adept at reflexively reflexively saying that they're overworked. And I'm going to tell you something, guys. I I mentioned that Parkinson's is cynical, and I try to avoid cynicism. But I'll tell you what: I don't believe anybody. I've never believed anybody when they tell me their stated hours of worked, uh, stated number of hours worked per week. I just don't. It's happened so many times that somebody said, "I work 80 hours a week," and You know, it used to be I would walk them through, when they said 80 hours a week, I said, okay, help me understand that a little bit better. But now I just say, 80 hours a week divided by seven? You're you're saying you work 11 hours a day, seven days a week? That's just mind-boggling. So I don't believe it, and I don't believe folks when they tell me they're overworked. I, I believe they work hard. I believe they work long hours. But working hard and working long hours and being overworked are two different things. When we ask managers at our at our conferences, and we've trained thousands in the last five years alone, everyone raises their hand when we ask them who here, but listen to this now. Everyone raises their hand when we ask who here would be willing, provided it was done professionally, it wasn't wacky, it wasn't just rude or cruel, who here would be willing to step up for some more work if their boss needed their help? Okay. I mean, think about that for a second, right? Everybody is totally busy. Totally busy. Oh, totally busy, Mark. You can't even imagine how busy I am. I wake up texting and I don't even have my phone in my hands, right? That's not unheard of, by the way. Everyone's totally busy, but everyone is also willing to help. And frankly, what I've learned, it took me a while to figure this out, but both things are true. They're busy and they're able to help. And that means if both are true, and, and we really do believe that, That means totally busy means maybe not with the most important stuff, depending upon what boss you want me to do. And and directs, directs of us as managers, and and by the way, folks, in a way that includes all of you and us as well, begin to believe their own self-marketing about being overworked and they stop evaluating what is really contributing to productivity for the firm and what isn't delivering value, and it just becomes the number of hours, and how how anxious they feel at work on an hour to hour basis. There are people who feel busy while sitting around worrying about how much work they have to do. I remember I was just on Life Hack or Life Hacker, I can't remember which, and one of the posts uh, it may have. I know it wasn't Merlin Mann, but it was somebody said something that was quoted to the effect of, if you're sitting around worrying about, work, worrying about how much work you have to get done, why don't you go get some done? I don't want to be overly simplistic about this, but we know folks are busy. But managers, if you're listening, you're not responsible for keeping your folks busy. Okay? Nobody but an immediate manager can really know, at a, at, a, at least at a detail level, whether that busyness actually produces productive output. In other words, usable work. Okay. We don't want your people to be busy. We want them to be productive. And those things are not necessarily the same thing. They use busyness. I'm working on a lot of things as a defense against more work because in their mind, more work is just less effective, right? Spending less time on everything they're already doing and just adding one more thing. And you're saying, no, I don't want that. I want you to work on the right things. And I want you to learn how to compress everything you're doing in an hour into 45 minutes right you know i i thought when i was writing this cast i thought about the movie the natural where that that guy stood up i I don't know the actor i don't know the character's name i'm not sure he was he was in the credits but uh, losing is a disease hmm. as yeah. contagious as the bubonic plague and i think he also starts out by saying something like imagine you're on a ship at sea rocking gently rocking and it's pretty bad uh and that's when uh robert redford walks out but in this cast, it would be busyness is a disease, as contagious as the bubonic plague. <laughs> um, so, busyness is not an answer. It's not a defense. It's not a, a discussion point. It's not something managers consider. Managers consider
0: productivity. Bubonic plague. You know, some people tell me they think that you go overboard sometimes. I, I can't believe it. It's just, no, just, no, no. I just can't believe they'd say that. no. I'm just quoting from a movie. <laughs> play. Okay, I'm sorry.
1: Please go on. <laughs> now, another movie quote was if if your people are working really hard and you give them one more thing to do, and they say like Indiana Jones did in the uh, in the Temple of Doom when he, he says to uh, the lady when he and his, his in short round are about to be
0: crushed, he looks at her and he says, "We are going to die." <laughs> if your directs say that, you might want to back off. May wanna. Maybe not. That's the sign when you know they're busy when they say they're going to die. (laughs) Yeah. You heard it here first, folks.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So look, but the key is you got to remember our first responsibility as managers is to the company and not to your team. Folks, your job is not to defend the work your team is already doing. Your job is to deliver results. And that's goal achievement. And that requires productivity. And that can be very different from busyness. It's probably oversimplistic to say it, but if your team is totally busy and your team doesn't achieve your goals, you have failed in one of your core responsibilities as a manager. You failed the Drucker productivity test. I mean, look, your company has obligations to its shareholders and to its customers. You have obligations to your company to help it do so. We can't simply accept as professional managers the defense of busyness as a defense against more of the work that you believe is the right work. And look, when people have been doing work for a while, they believe that work is right. It begins to become part of their professional image, their their self-image. And that's okay. We're not saying they're bad for thinking it. We're saying we're smarter than them for knowing that this new task we're going to give them is going to deliver more value for the company per hour than the task they've been working on that's been keeping them busy. Okay. And by the way, we'll come back to why Parkinson's law means that People always feel busy, but somehow today, busyness, and and part of it is the self-marketing of busyness, has supplanted the availability that we all hopefully would wish for, for higher productivity. And we as managers have overseen this sort of pernicious change that, well, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I can promise you folks, um, 30, 40 years ago, uh, there were plenty of people who, who, who were outwardly verbal about saying, no, I have bandwidth. I, I'll be willing to take that on. Uh, now, everyone is saying, oh, swamp, 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 swamp. I've caught myself doing it and I regret it. But look, if you want to be a good manager, you've got to demand productivity from your folks. For the benefit of the company, not just people doing lots of work and being, quote, busy.
0: Yeah. Help me, though, understand a little bit because there's a, it, it seems there's a conflict between this idea of increased productivity and happiness. And aren't oh, yeah. happy people uh, more productive? Uh, it just seems that they fight each other a little bit. Productivity. Can I just growl happiness. for half an hour here? <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, I'll mention Colonel Texera again. Of course, these shows aren't about us, but it's helpful to have an early formative experience as a leader or a manager or a professional where happiness was not in the equation to realize happiness may in fact be antithetical to what we want to achieve. For some reason, it seems like being good, which is to say productive, if you want to be a good manager or a great manager, you're going to have to make your people unhappy. The math, the science, and many, many, many highly effective managers' experiences suggest just the opposite. If you're going to ask for more, you know you can actually create a situation where your directs end up being happier. Although in the beginning, your directs aren't going to like it, and we're still suggesting you're going to ask for more well, I just did this recently, I'm mean, just this, just earlier this week. We tell all of our conference attendees something about productive and about happy employees and it surprises many of them. The first thing we tell them is, happy employees are not more productive than unhappy employees. Think about that for a second, folks. I'm gonna say it again. Happy employees are not more productive than unhappy employees, okay? That's important to know because it means that even if you make your directs unhappy, that doesn't inherently translate into less productivity, okay? Or at least that's not too far a stretch from that. Okay, So, but there's even more at work here than that. While happy workers are not more productive than unhappy workers, hear this now, productive workers are more happy than unproductive workers. What that essentially tells us is productivity is what drives happiness, and if you try to make your workers happy, if you think your job is to make people happy because you've confused the manager's job of results and retention and you've decided that it's just retention and people stay with managers who make them happy, so therefore retention will go up and I'll get good scores from retention if I make people happy, so I'll dole out things that I think make people happy, okay, what you will have done is gotten the cause and effect wrong. And when you try to make workers happy, which frankly, folks, you can't measure and you can't control since it's someone else's state of mind, or at least their emotional state, you create in them a sense that your job is actually to provide them happiness, and they will seek more happiness from you rather than productivity. This gives rise to the HR manager who is called behind his or her back, the cruise director for let's have a party, let's make everybody feel good, let's make them happy for working here, totally worthless, okay? When your directs start looking to you for happiness, you are doomed. But notice, if you're more productive, you will end up being more happy. Look, folks, it's easy. Results and retention go together. If you drive your folks to deliver high results and they're highly productive, they will be happier than if they're not productive. So it's our job to sort out the work to make sure there's plenty of it to go around and then help them decide how to get it done, help them get it done in less and less time to improve their productivity per hour constantly. And that will make them happier. They'll get better results and you'll retain them as well. So if you want to make your folks happy, all you have to do is drive them towards productivity. Everybody wins. Your job is to motivate people to be productive. When they're productive, they will be
0: happy. If you try to seek happiness by skipping productivity, you won't have either one okay i don't know how, how i feel about the uh not focusing on happiness thing. i kind of like cruise directors but hey okay yeah <laughs> I, i'm willing i'm going i'm willing to go along with you never been on a cruise don't intend to you never been uh, i want to kill some of our listeners by taking us on a tangent so let's don't talk about cruises fair enough thanks everyone that's it we'll see you next week have a great one so long